Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Man, who's excited to be in church this morning? Hallelujah! Glory to Jesus! We're going to give the Lord a shout, amen. Just one, one loud, strong shout. Because we are grateful for Nigeria. We're grateful for Nigeria. How many of you have been grateful for Nigeria? That is, you say, thank God I'm a Nigerian. <laughs> That's not a common point of gratitude, right? But it should, it should, it should. You may not have survived any other climb. You may not. No, God is very deliberate about these things. You should be grateful about Nigeria. There are days of your life you say, ah, thank God. You know, usually, you know, you see, the devil is very strategic. That's one thing you can't take from him. He's a very strategic person. And so he, he creates, he coins slangs and words and verbiages that corrupt our understanding of what we should be grateful for. So he then identifies Nigeria with a calamity. So when someone says Nigeria has happened to you, right, they don't mean that in a good way at all. Say, you know, someone got an accident and then, you know, the, the hospital system didn't admit the person and said the person died and then they will say Nigeria happened to the person. The system failed you. And so they, they have literally identified Nigeria with everything evil. The same Nigeria that has a lot of amazing things going for her. The same Nigeria. But the devil just chooses what he wants to attach Nigeria to in the mind and the psyche of the people. So that whenever you hear Nigeria, it just has a negative connotation, a negative impression on you. And of course, that's the kind of vibe we're also giving to the international community as well. And so when you hear the person is Nigerian, the security uh, is beefed up, the surveillance camera are turned on. You know, everybody's a bit more careful because, hey, hey Nigerian is on board. Uh, let's be careful. And that's the vibe. But God can change that overnight. He can. He can. He can. He can. And some of the things that we do, they are very prophetic. When we raise a voice and shout and we believe that, see, we, we cannot do everything, but what we can, we will do. We will give you a praise. We will give you a shout. We will give you what we know we can to the extent that we can. And we trust that you will take it up from there. Who is ready to give the Lord a shout? <laughs> Hallelujah. Are you ready? We give this shout in the name of Jesus. And as we do that, we raise the sound and the volume of grace, the volume of righteousness, and it drowns out every other noise, every other thing that is not consistent with righteousness, that is not consistent with grace, that is not consistent with innovation, that is not consistent with prosperity, with peace, that is not consistent with economic growth and buoyancy, that is not consistent with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ upon this nation. As we raise that shout, we drown everything that is not of God. We drown it. And we raise the sound and the shout of a king over Nigeria right now in the name of Jesus. One, two, three, go. Release the shout in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Glory. In Jesus' precious name, we have prophesied. Amen. Have your seat in God's presence as the kings and queens that you all are. 
Uh, tell your neighbor HID. <laughs> Please. Oh. Happy Independence Day. We don't want to stay hidden. <laughs> no man lights a candle and puts it under a bushel. God did not light Nigeria to put it under a bushel. No. Too many lit people in this country. Why should we be hidden? Why? Glory to Jesus. So we're going to start off on the notes that Pastor A.Y. reminded me last week. You know, that note, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. We're going to be talking about something very important today. And I trust that the Holy Spirit will carry these words and give them authenticity, potency, power. All right? Power sufficient to change our lives. Power sufficient to change to change our lives. There are three levels to strategy in any corporate organization. There is the business level strategy, talking about the kind of strategy you deploy to make a particular product or service more viable and profitable uh, within the context of the market. And um, it's usually specific to a specific business unit, SBU. Now, there is a corporate level strategy for organizations that have multiple SBUs. And so the corporate level strategy is a bit more holistic in galvanizing all the strengths and uh, opportunities that the organization has to push some related products, and some of them may not even be related, but as long as an organization has multiple SBUs and they're using their overarching strengths to push any of those products or services or specific business units, then they are deploying a corporate level strategy that is not just specific to a business, but to an organization as a whole. Then there is the international strategy that is uh, when you want to begin to break into borders, into international terrains and geographic domains that your organization or your business is not yet known. You need to deploy another level of strategy known as the international strategy. Now, when it comes to national development, I see a parallel as well. But of course, the objective is not to lay out the entire framework in that exact same structure. But there is something that I call the micro-level strategy, and that's the title of my teaching this morning. Micro-level strategy. Micro-level strategy. Amen. Micro-level strategy. Now, Acts chapter 1, it's a very interesting passage of scripture, an interesting narrative. This is Jesus. He had pastored his people for about three and a half years and he had prophesied that it was going to be taken up of course after dying and resurrecting and of course even after he was resurrected he you know taught them for about 40 days extra teaching them things concerning the kingdom and he was you know teaching them and training them and just facilitating their growth and readiness for the next level of the assignment and he was about to be taken up before them and so one question remained on their heart one very important question remained on their heart this man has been such a great and an amazing enigma. I mean, people loved him. People followed him. People listened to him. People just served him and worshipped him. This is the most powerful man we have ever seen in the entire horizon of the earth. This is this man. I mean, he's now about to be taken up right before our eyes. He's just going to go like that. You know, we had expected that something would have shaken within the political system and landscape. Something should have happened. You know, this Roman domination, the Roman Empire is still the one dominating our affairs. We're still under the dominion of Caesar. Like, we had expected a little bit more. I mean, now that you're exiting, it feels a little under underwhelming. That you are living and we are still in chains. Still subject to the, you know, dictates of an another empire that is not Israel. 
I mean, did you come all the way to Israel to leave it still in bondage? At least we even know that Moses took the people out from under the tyranny of Pharaoh. Like, you are Jesus. <laughs> you should do one better. I mean, why would you come and all you're doing is just on a small scale, you're not delivering Israel. You're not giving back the kingdom to Israel. So, at what point in time, really, Jesus, will the kingdom be restored to Israel? We have learned of the spirituals. We have learned of all the things that you have done in and amongst us. You have healed. You have preached. We've gotten saved. You have done a lot of amazing things. But now we need a political revival. There's something going on in our land that we cannot continue like this. And now it does appear that it's not likely going to happen. But I know you have a plan. And so even now that you're about to exit, can you at least give us some time perspective? When? I know you're still working. I understand that. You may be going, but there's still some works in the pipeline. When exactly are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When? Because I know there has got to be a plan. And then Jesus responds in the most, you know, unlikely fashion. They were not expecting that feedback. They're like, it's not for you to start dabbling and meddling in the things that the Father has kept within his own authority. Ah. Okay, so what are you now saying? <laughs> what are you now saying? How can Jesus come to Israel and we don't feel the impact of his coming at the large-scale political level? Why? How come there is so much religion and sophistication and spiritual advancement in a country, but the political space is still a shadow of what it's supposed to be? How come our political reality does not mirror our spiritual heritage? How come? How come we're so blessed spiritually, but when you look at the economic and political front, we're still a nation that is almost suffering a plague? What's going on? And then Jesus does not even promise you any hope in the future. He does not even say, well, God is working out something, but wait for it. The way he, the way he told them to go and wait for the promise of the Father in the person of the Holy Ghost. He didn't tell them to wait for it. He said, it's not your business. Uh -uh. Uh, give us some hope. You are leaving us. This is how you leave us in depression. So, that, so we can literally live and die under the tyranny of the Roman Empire? Is that what you're saying? He said, it's not your business, literally. That's what Jesus said to them. Wow. <laughs> and so you would assume he didn't answer the question. <sighs> but he did. He did. He said, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So he responds in the most unlikely way. He gives them a feedback that they were not expecting. They were expecting him to come and do something drastic. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 2 from verse 20, 21, talking about how that it is God that changes times and seasons. He's the one that enthrones and dethrones kings. And so, I mean, in the same vein, they expect that once Jesus shows up and he's about to you know, reorganize and restructure the entire political landscape, he just brings someone or he himself sits on that throne, which is one of the things that the Jews wanted to even do with Jesus. They wanted to make him king. Do you see? Because as far as their understanding of change and transformation is concerned, until it's at the macro political level, it is not happening yet. And that's the mindset a lot of us also have. And that's one of the reasons why sometimes it looks like we're crawling as far as the journey of advancement, civilization, and transformation is concerned. It feels like we are supposed to be somewhere. And the only factors we are looking at are the macro factors. 
Who is the president? Who are those in the Senate? Who are those governing the ministries? What, what, what are we doing as a nation? What's the inflation rate like? What's the exchange rate like? What are the employment rates like? What are these, these indicators? These macro indicators. What are they saying? So because those things don't seem to be shifting, we assume that nothing is happening. Because we assume that God's impact upon our lives must begin at the macro level. But that's not the strategy that God deploys here. We need to understand that. And when it comes to anything that Jesus wants to, you see, whenever God gives a time perspective, he cannot actually give a time perspective on something he has made to depend on man. He cannot. You know the reason? Because it defeats the purpose. For example, if he says that this is the year I will come. How many of you know that a lot of us prophesied the year and the time that Jesus was going to return? I mean, you know, you understand? So a lot of people have prophesied it over time. And the fact that you prophesied it tells me it's a lie. It doesn't have to have happened. And we see that it did not happen the way I prophesied. For me to know that it's a lie because God doesn't say things like that. The reason is because it is counterproductive. The moment you know a time. So this is what happens. Matthew 24 tells us that, you see, until the gospel of this kingdom is preached to the ends of the earth as a witness. He says, then the earth shall come. The end shall come. And so the timing of the Lord, as long as it's dependent on man, cannot now be revealed to man. To the same man that it is dependent on. Because the moment the time is released as revelation to the man, he can sabotage it. Then he will say, whether or not I do anything that I'm supposed to do, upon which the prophesied should have been dependent on. Do you understand? The moment I know that this thing will happen, whether or not I do what I'm supposed to do, the time... Do you understand what I'm trying to... So if God says he will come in the next five years, 20, what is that? 2028. That that is when Jesus will return. Do you really think anybody will actively begin to do what they are supposed to do with respect to what that timing is dependent on, which is the preaching of the gospel? Because now you don't see that the need to continue to preach. Because the time is there. It has been set. So God will never set a time to what is man-dependent. He won't. Because the moment he does, then you, know, you relinquish your responsibility and your contribution to its fulfillment. It's a prophecy, but it is not going to be revealed to you in time, the way God knows that time. So he tells you your responsibility and your contribution to the fulfillment of that prophecy. He does not give you a time to it because for as long as you want to wait and you can afford to wait, you will wait. So when it comes to end times, it, depend, it makes it dependent on the behavior of individuals within the context of that. So he says, when the perilous times show up, men become this. These are the indicators you will see. You will see micro indicators for macro realities. So the end time is not a time. It's a stature. It's a season. When people will come to a certain level of behavioral patterns, men will become boastful, unthankful, rebellious, disobedient to parents. All right? They, they just become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. When you begin to see those micro indicators, it's a sign that the macro constellations are about to be activated. Something is about to change in the macro level. So God hardly puts a time perspective to things that is dependent on man to activate. Because he's coming. He's dependent on man. So why should he put a time on it? So what he does is that he re-emphasizes the power that man has. He re-emphasizes the power that man has. It is not for you to know the time that the kingdom will be restored. 
you focus on your own business. You receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you will begin to spread. By the time, and you see, another challenge with the time consciousness is that you are only thinking of Israel. God is thinking of the ends of the earth. You are thinking God wants to restore order to the earth. But you are only thinking of Israel. When, when will the kingdom be restored to Israel? It's a selfish ideology. When is my own time going to come? But God is like, see, focus on the real thing. You will not even know when you get to the ends of the earth. Because that's the objective of the Father. That's the, that's the grand objective of the Father. And so what I observe is that when it comes to macro movements, macro realities... More than anything, they are dependent on micro factors. Micro factors. You see, we live in a country where we blame all the macros for our micro realities. The reason why fuel is this expensive is because they are not making the right decisions at the top. And you see, it, it looks so tempting to analyze situations like that. But that's not how Jesus does it. Because we're in Nigeria now, and it's very easy to say it's the president's fault some things are happening. It's very easy to say the reason why these things are happening at this level is because this leadership is wrong. And yes, to an extent, it is true. But how should you respond to that reality? How? You cannot change anything from that macro level. And of course, if you're familiar with economics, you realize that everything macro is dependent on micro reality. So the, the market is dependent on individual households, isn't it? There is no market without households. You can't have a market. This market that your business plan is all about does not exist in isolation. So macro is actually a mirage. If I follow up with every household, I've already, I've already understood the market. Because the market is just an aggregation of households. And so whatever I want to change at the market level, if I can introduce it at the household level, I would have changed the complexion of the market. And so that is God's strategy. That is focus on what you can do. The moment you get overpowered and overwhelmed by the reality of the macro realities, what happens is that it paralyzes your initiative. Because you now assume that your own part does not count. Because the market is like this, so let the households remain the same. No! If one household can take an initiative and it begins to spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, eventually the complexion of the market will begin to change because a man took initiative. Sodom and Gomorrah had done sufficiently to warrant the judgment scale of God to land upon them. And so God was about to go and execute that judgment and then he dropped by the house of Abraham and he gave, them, he gave him a hint of what he was about to do. And then we realize how God makes his decisions. So he looks at Abraham and he says, I'm about to do this. And Abraham says, ah, Abba, <laughs> at least I know that there are 45, at least 50. At least 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. I said, they are not. Oh. oh, okay. 45, Abba, 45, good day. He said, no, they are not up to 45. Okay, uh, 14, go. They are not up to 40. 30. Ah, there must be 30 righteous people. He said they're not up to 30. He said they're not up to 20. He got to 10. He said they're not up to 10 righteous people in SNG. <laughs> Amen. It's, it's long. So I said, let me. They're not up to 10 righteous people. Wow. I wished Abraham had continued. 
so that you see how one man can impact what happens at the macro level. So he, he negotiates until 10. But we don't know if they were up to 5. We don't know that. Because Abraham didn't go further than 10. But Peter tells us at least there was one righteous man in Lot. We know. How do we know that it was only Lot that was a righteous man? You see, the perversion of SNG had gotten so bad that the L Q community, you understand, had now become, they had, they, they had had their way with everybody in the city already. So their thirst and their taste had evolved. Consumer taste and preferences had evolved from the regular available people around. So the moment any guest comes into S&G, they notice. That will now become the object of their desires. So there was no person in S&G that was not already defiled. Not one. So when, that was why they wanted to break down that house. That you are the, see, you are the only person that can satisfy our lust right now. No other, there were people in S&G that, what happened? There was no other person that they had not already had their way with. Maybe apart from Lot's virgin daughter. So, and that was the only person he could now sacrifice. Because they wanted that guest by all means. A whole nation. Not more than one righteous person. And God gave Abraham the impression... That if there were just enough righteous people, maybe more than one, maybe five, maybe ten, this macro judgment would not have happened. That is, micro elements are so powerful to impact macro realities much more than we give micros credit for. We assume that the little things on our own in our own realities, are so insignificant that Nigeria cannot feel it. It's a lie. Oh. That's the lie the devil wants you to... You see, he wants to propagate an agenda through social media that will give you a sense of nothingness and worthlessness with respect to your contribution. That whatever you are doing does not make any difference. Nigeria is a hell. Nigeria is a mess. Nigeria is this, Nigeria is that. And he continues to create and push that narrative until you down your tools. He sees the threat, and that is why he pushes that narrative to make you re resolve to just doing nothing than to continue complaining and contribute to the mess again. Because he has agents. Oh, yes, he does, especially on Twitter. <laughs> That's where he recruits them from. One of the challenges of the world is the, the lack of consequences to bad behavior online. That's one of the biggest challenges of the world. There is, there is consequence for... Physical bad behavior. But there's absolutely no form of consequence for online violence, online bullying. There's no form of consequence. And that is why a lot of things are actually happening the way they are. People can win elections by just owning and, you know, there is a way. They can win an election on Twitter. Uh, oh, yes. They will just... They will just exalt what they need to exalt. You know, it's like a DJ. And re reduce the volume of what they need to reduce. No matter how many voices are in that reduced volume, it won't float to the top. Now, no matter how few the voices 
where they want, they will just increase the volume. It will now look like that is the entire complexion of the... And then the people that were in the low volume now start joining because they're like, my vote will not count. So this is the, person, this is the poll. Why do they do polls for elections? That's never been accurate. The polls are to engineer what they want. See, you need to understand the strategy of the enemy. Whatever he wants to achieve at the micro, macro level, he infiltrates the micros. How he has destroyed nations is by entering into families. That is how. But we, we will sit wherever we are sitting and begin to judge our lives based on the macros. When macro knows that you are the reason why I even exist, but you are not giving yourself the credit that you deserve. If you one person can take a stand, sincerely, Nigeria can stand still. If you one person, if you one person, and we have sufficient aggregation of those one, one people. One, one people. Just one, one, one. One person part time. Nigeria can change. I tell you the truth. Can a nation be born overnight? Isaiah 66 tells us that it is possible, sir. That a nation can be born overnight. The Bible says, for as soon as Zion traveled, she brought forth. So, Lot was that powerful. Lot was that powerful. He was that powerful. One righteous person. So powerful that even when destruction came, he was still spared. He was probably not the most, it was probably not, you see, everybody in his house were probably not as righteous as he was. But his righteousness saved them. Could it be that a household righteousness can save a town? And a town's righteousness can save a constituency, a state. And a state can save... Do you understand my point? Because there is a leverage to your righteousness. There is a scope of influence to your righteousness. That is, if Lot is the only righteous person, his household can be spared on the strength of his own righteousness alone. Because it was only Lot that the angel came to drag out of the destruction. It was his entire household. It's the place he has influence over. Praise the name of the Lord. But the enemy wants us to believe that whatever is happening at the macro level, see, that is what must change. No, you are the one that must change. You. The moment you put the focus back on yourself, Nigeria begins to take a different complexion. Because the whole is a sum of all the parts. Hmm. So the disciples having experienced the power and the ministry of Jesus Christ for about three years, many of them were actually unimpressed by the state of things. In which he was leaving them. You were supposed to change the quality of our lives. And the fortunes of our households. But here we are. Still very much under the dominion of the Roman Emperor. How do you come with all the might of heaven. And you wouldn't even change the situation of a small nation like ours. So it was a very underwhelming exit. Like. When are you at this time going to restore Israel. Back to its original glory. When are you going to change the lot of Nigerians. And Jesus is like, it's not your business. And you're like, Abba now, have we not suffered enough? What do you mean it's not our business? And then he puts the power back in your hands. Jesus knows exactly what he's saying. So this sort of conundrum is not uncommon, especially for a number of Nigerians. Why would a country so religious yet not enjoy the benevolence of the God they serve so lavishly? And just like the disciples, many Nigerians have questions. Exactly at what point will you begin to turn the tides for us as Nigerians? Our economy, unemployment rates, inflation rates, exchange rates, foreign reserves, ETC. And we ask Jesus 
for that very important perspective. Tell us a time, give us a season, speculate, predict, so we can anchor our hope to that season. But Jesus kills the question upon arrival. That's not your business. But I thought God is interested in being known at every level. Why won't God tell us about his plan for our nation? Don't we deserve to know? And like I've already explained, this is just me just doing a bit of summary. One of the faulty ideas the man has of God is that God controls everything at the macro level and that whatever he wants to happen at the macro level will happen, whether or not micros agree. Do you understand? That is, what God will do in Nigeria, he will do. It's true and it's not true at the same time. Because God is dependent on whatever we do at the micro level to achieve whatever his desires are at the macro level. Amen. So how we, for example, know the times of the end or the signs of the end is by observing what individual men are doing. There's no time to it. They become boastful, unthankful, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, disobedient to parents. The aggregation of the micro factors is what impacts on the macro realities. God hardly ever puts a time perspective on what he has allowed to be dependent on man. Again, the gospel must be preached to the ends of the earth as a witness, then the end will come. The moment God reveals a time, we relinquish our responsibility because whether or not we preach, we believe the end will come either ways. So why preach? Are we still together, guys? So look at Galatians chapter 4 from verse 1, for example. Galatians chapter 4 from verse 1. Bible says that uh, an heir, as long as he's a child, is not different from a slave, even though he is what? Lord of all. So what does the father do? Bible says the father puts him under what? Tutors and governors. For what? For what? For a time appointed. That time, what is it? Is it a time on the calendar? It's a stature. Thank you, sir. It's a stature. That's the exact word in my notes. It's a stature time, not a calendar time. It's a kairos time, not a chronos time. It's a season you come into that activates the timing. So the father has a quality. It's almost as though there is a quality that the akara must be for you to, for you to say it is done. It's, you're not checking the amount of time it's been on fire in that sense, except, of course, you have studied it over time and there's a proper recipe and there's a number of minutes attached to it. But typically, if I ask you now, you fry a every Saturday, for example, yes, we do in the house, okay? So, um, if... <laughs> So if you fry curry every Saturday, if I ask you how many minutes does it take, you may not be able to give me that. But you can tell when it is done, isn't it? Because there is a stature you are looking for in the Akara. If it takes two years, if you are using candu or matchstick to burn it, do you understand my point? So it's not the time appointed in terms of a specific chronos time. It's a stature God is looking out for. So whatever it is that God wants to bring into your life, Pastor also did find justice to that in his teaching. It is not so much about a specific, um, because that was actually what gave Jacob over to Laban. I shared that in the last push buttons. So Laban gave Jacob a premise for his promise he said you wait seven years and you get your wife the next day and then jacob began to count 2555 days and as was getting closer to the day he was getting more and more impatient because his patience was tied to time patience tied to time is not patience it's not it's not patience because your desperation levels begin to heighten 
as you near that time. In fact, guess what? You are becoming worse and worse a reflection of what God had intended the closer you get to that time. So it's like God is looking out for patience in you and you are becoming the exact opposite of that just because the time was introduced. See, we must be very careful with the things we call by this time. Be very careful. I can't wait. I can't wait. Stop that. You, you will start focusing on the wrong things. Instead of you to grow in stature and look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, and continue to grow in stature and in understanding of his will for your life, you are looking for a time because he had prophesied that by this time next year you'd have been married. So everybody's looking like a husband. He's coming. That's him, that's him, that's him. Ah, three months to go. Ah, it has to be now. It has to be this week. And the propensity for our deception becomes heightened. The devil now know, he has you in a good place. Any man looks like husband because you are working with a timed prophecy. Hmm. Be careful. And so once it happens, you're like, ah, okay, oh. as he said, it has happened. God hardly does that. If he releases, if he reveals a time perspective, eh, it must have been, he hardly does. And if he does, it must have been after a season of indefinite waiting season. The times the other times that he also released a time perspective, he did it to the people that were not involved in the fulfillment. <laughs> so he would tell Abraham that for 430 years, but none of the children of Israel will know 430 years. Do you understand? Uh-huh. So he will reveal the time to the person that cannot contribute. <laughs> Praise God. And then he will reveal a time to Sarah. You see, because the time, the moment God mentioned the time, that was the conception. If it was I could give a baby immediately, we would have given him there. But because it's a human being, it's a baby, you can't cook it. So nine months has to pass. So he said, by the time next year. That was the point God gave the baby to Sarah. That was the point. So he didn't say in five years' time. Because they had waited indefinitely for almost 25 years. When they grew in that stature, then he said they were ready. And he gave it to them immediately. Then it took a year before the child came to life. Do you understand? So be careful when you attach time to promise. The real reward of a promise is him. Not the thing you will get. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so be very careful when you're asking God for time perspectives. When, at what point, God will not tell you. Because it defeats the exact promise of that time. Even though he knows that in five years time you would have grown in enough stature. Going by all these factors. He knows when it will happen. If you focus on growing. But the moment he gives you that time, you're like, whether or not I grow, it will happen. It will not. It does not look like God is lying. God is not. Even the 400 years became 430 years. Because your stature cannot... You see, God will rather compensate on time than on stature. He will rather compromise on time. And say, let time wait. Let stature continue to grow. Not that because I've said this this time. Nothing can change my word. He will change it, sir. 40 days journey to promised land became 40 years. So, yes, God can give you time perspective, but hey, if you, if you fixate on that, you can elongate your journey exactly because you need the time. Because you knew the time, that is what actually made your journey longer. If you are just focused on loving him, fellowshipping with him, receiving instructions and letting him grow you from inside. When the time is ripe, he is the one. He is the one in charge of times and seasons. So guess what? The children of Israel were asking Jesus, when are you going to restore to Israel? Guess what? If Jesus had said, you know, by this time next year, what they expect is that an Israelite will now become the king of Israel, blah, 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 blah. 
If he does not change you all at the micro level, whoever you make king will be worse than the Roman emperor. Because you have made macro the God of your life. <laughs> because you are looking for king. I'm, I'm doing something with David. He's not yet fully, fully structured for that position. So I'm waiting till he's done. He's the Akara that I'm frying. He's the one that I'm cooking. Yet you hastily pressurize me to give you a king. Now I've given you a king who he's not a king. He's a king. <laughs> And you need to go and check what the king is. <laughs> He's a king to your, his, to your history and your ancestry. He will kink what being a king should look like. Because you hastily... And you see, you know, you know it, was, it was comparisons that, that drove them to that pressurizing Jesus or pressurizing God. Like, like every other nation of the world. When are you going to give us also a king? Like every other nation in the world, Jesus, when are you going to restore Israel to its kingdom? When? And Jesus' response is God's response. I don't need you to pressurize me for a time or for a king. What you have now is sufficient to change the world if everybody can focus on the power of the Holy Ghost right inside of them. If you can just focus on the power of the Holy Ghost that you have, oh dear Lord, Jerusalem will turn to the ends of the earth. It's just a matter of time. But that time, I will never reveal it to you. Because why should I reveal it to you? You will sabotage it. You will say, whatever God has said, it will never fail. There have been several times <laughs> that the timing that he said extended. But what he said he will do, he did it. So his commitment is to what he will do. His commitment is not to time. That time is dependent on you. If you like, don't grow. If Nigeria likes, see all this prophecy of Pyelton, it can stay 200 years. And it can stay 50 years. You decide. This, you see, God wants to do it. He has said it. He will do it. But if we don't want to participate, it will take as long as we are not ready. And the moment we catch a revelation of our responsibility and we begin to go about that responsibility, it can take much quicker. Zion can travel and give birth if we all would take hold of our own responsibility. Look at all the people that are crucifying the presidency and the senate for bad decisions. There's toxicity in their organizations. They are marginalizing their wives. They are bullying their assignees in their record labels. So if, if God scaled the operational efficiency of their own individual families, the Nigeria we see today will be worse. It will be. So, and, and that's what we need to understand. That whatever is happening there is a reflection of micro-realities. Many of us may not do any better. Many of us. Because there are inefficiencies within our own micro-realities. By the time we scale them, they will not be called other names like corruption, nepotism. But at your level is toxic workplace. At your level is marginalization. At your level is domestic violence. At your level is being rude. That's what it is. Partiality in a team, in an organization. That is nepotism at the highest level. Uh, that is only your level that in your cabinet. Uh, you understand? But in your organization, you don't give fair hearing to other people that are from other clients. 
So if they scale the operational efficiency of your own personal life and they make it the climate in Nigeria, what will Nigeria look like? Until we begin to take responsibility for our contribution to the Nigerian state, Nigeria will never change. And we don't take that responsibility as a group. Until you begin to stop dropping pure water sachets on the floor. Until you stop writing on the restroom walls. I don't need to know you were there. It's, not, it's too much information. I, was, I don't understand. It does not encourage me. Why are you saying it? People will go to Eiffel Tower. They'll be writing their names there. Destructive maintenance culture. Destructive. Some people, you, you live in a rented apartments, and you can, if they gave you that house that, by the way, it was all a joke. This rent is, your, is, is actually your house. I built it for you. And then you received the house you lived in with the mindset of a tenant. You are now receiving it as a landlord. You will cry instead of giving thanks. <laughs> because the way you treated that house, the way you treated the house that is not yours, because it was not yours, the way you treated it, what betides the next person that will come inside? That it's a it's a curse to take an apartment after you. When are we going to take responsibility for what we can take responsibility for? When? It now looks like oh, the president's fault is the biggest fault. No, sir, he is a micro too. He himself is a micro. Because where are we going to get the president from? Is it not from the pool of Nigerians? So if everybody is at the micro level is solid, straightforward, that will not be the complexion at the macro level because the macro is just a combination of, and an aggregation of several micros. The rate at which people lie sometimes, it will shock you. Why? And then you say someone should not say snake ate money. That is, that is the reflection of that lie at a macro level. Why would a monkey come and just develop covetous tendencies and is able to spend actual naira and dollar? Why? And the kind of lie you'll be wondering, what is this? This is an assault of my intelligence. Like, what, what is the meaning of this lie? Like, how can you even think of it? But ask yourself questions. The day you have to go for an interview. <laughs> I saw a meme recently. <laughs> the guy was preparing to lie the next day, so he was coughing. <laughs> he was coughing so that his, his colleagues can hear that he's getting sick. He's about to fall sick. So he was coughing up and down, you know, cleaning his nose. <laughs> so that the next day he can just type. <laughs> Because of an interview? If we scale that to the macro level, you see that we are far more responsible than we give ourselves faults for. Because this one is a knock on our heads. Hmm. And then you see people copy to write exams or to, to pass exams. But you expect a president to be competent. But you, you passed an exam by cheating. So, can we just be less hypocritical?
you gave a testimony for writing an exam that you did not read for. Just because of a positional advantage, you sat. So it was your sitting position that was the passing. <laughs> what made you pass had nothing to do with what you read. It was that you sat. Hi. If I had not just sat beside this guy. My you see, from my primary one to primary five, there was a guy that I sat beside. So I'm taking my own responsibility now. <laughs> His name was Philip Oti. Then God now wanted to finish me and remove the chair that I was sitting under. And so Philippotti got transferred and he didn't tell me, he didn't prepare my mind. So his last day of school was the first time he was telling me. He said, by, by, by the way, my friend, I won't be coming again. I said, eh? <laughs> he thought I loved him. I said, eh? <laughs> this one, this one not be love, oh. eh? What put on my promotion? <laughs> As you are going like that, you are leaving with my promotion. Hey. <laughs> And thank God for that, because for the first time, I took responsibility for my academic life. I said, see, now you're actually in your town right now. And it's amazing how intelligent I actually became, just by taking responsibility. The moment you start taking responsibility, see, things will start changing. There is power in just one. There is power there. That one that you are, you carry weight. You are just discounting it because of the macro elements. Ah, what can it do in Nigeria? It can do a lot. Start with your street. Start with your house. How irresponsible can some people be in tenanted apartments? Some, see, I can't start talking now. Let me not start. Just, be just clean your own porch. It was an American president, I think, or an activist that said it. Just clean your own porch and America will be clean. Clean your own porch. Come out every day and clean your own porch. Lord, you know, just, just clean it. Everywhere in America will be clean. If every man will just clean his own porch. If, if, you will, if you will do your own bit, if you, you will do your bit. And ask yourself, how have I been contributing to the corruption in Nigeria? The impatience. They launch a new train. The impatience. Let's not even start talking. And it's the impatience, the sense of entitlement, all these things. The traditions that, okay, so when we have organizations, when we have organizations, we pack only people that are sentimentally and familiarly attached to us. Those are the only people we give favors in that organization. And then you don't want a president to only put your people in his cabinet? Do you understand my point? We need, we, need to, we need to exalt the weight of our own personal responsibility. We need to exalt it. Because if God scaled your own actions and made it Nigeria, what will that Nigeria be? What will that Nigeria be? I've, I've used that B for a couple of illustrations. And I hope his... his I won't say it should get used to it because I, I think it's very inspirational because what happened was this. When we were in Calabar, we were seven back then, Habib would, you know, he's a stickler for white shirts, so he had only two or one or so. And every day you go to Habib's class, Habib was on a well-hired white, white shirt, gaitered trousers every day. These boys, what class were they? The witnesses one. Many of them were just random boys, very random boys. 
he had no reason to take them that seriously. They were just boys. And he would iron it. He would look his best, look sharp, give them pep talks after teaching them the math. Many of them, if you, if you, if you extrapolate the impact that he must have made in their lives, 10 years down the line, he may be the reason why one of them is a pilot. He may be the reason. Now, if he had discounted and discounted that contribution, what may have happened is that 10 years down the line, 50 touts are on the streets doing and causing mayhem. And he will never be able to take responsibility because he can't even link it again. But God sees the link. That's what we don't understand. God sees the link. Till forever, I will forever be grateful for a man called Mr. Balogun in my secondary school. This man had several opportunities to not be a teacher. He was the smartest man in the school. He literally was the smartest man in that school. Whenever he joined a particular house, that house became first at the entire sports. Every single time. So he became the system. Anywhere he went, excellence just followed him. He was in crosshouse for several years. Nobody could unseat them. They were always first. First in cleanliness because there was always cleaning and all these um, evaluations on Saturdays. He, the, the house was first in cleanliness and they were always first in sports and activities. Every single time. Then they moved in and said, it's a lie, it's cheating. So they brought him to Oshon House, the greenhouse. They started becoming first again. He was the one that headed our chapel. And we are all blessed because of that man. He gave us opportunities to share. He gave us opportunities to lead. If not for that man, I will not be here today. His contribution, however little, made me who I am today. Whatever it is that I'm saying, I'm impacting and in my own small world. It was because a man in his own small way contributed to my growth and development. In his own small way. And so from last year, myself and one of my brothers, we said every December we will send him money. Like, I will feel like an ingrate for the rest of my life if I don't do something to that man. Because the beginning of my spiritual enlightenment began with that man. The beginning of my spiritual... If I had waited till OAU to start out and understanding scripture and being in love with the Bible, I may not have come this far. I may not have. That's the truth. Your small contributions matter a lot. Was it not a man that God Billy Graham saved? Was it not a man? And the day he was saved, he felt very underwhelmed. Like, of all the people in this place, it's just one little boy that is getting saved. But that little boy got millions of souls saved. If only we would do our own small part and mentor that boy as if our life depended on it. And just clean our own street as though our life depended on it. And just do that small responsibility. If it is to pray till Jesus comes and just do it. Anna's contribution is your advantage today. Can you just take responsibility? See, we need to be more responsible. That's, that's, that's entirely what I'm saying today. Forget about Nigeria. Nigeria will be sorted if you will sort yourself out. Nigeria will be sorted now. If every family can just be strong. Touts will remove. You will be looking for them. You will not find them. What produces tout and, and banditry and all these things? Is it not irresponsible families? Is, it responsible, is irresponsibility in families? Is the absent fathers? That's what is that, is the, that is the bad thing that is producing. And by the time it's happening at that level, we say that is the problem. That is not the problem. That was a reflection of the problem that started 25 years ago. But then it's now bringing forth fruit 25 years after. And we are now saying that is the problem. That is not the problem. If you like, start cutting down all the doubts. They will produce a larger reward or a larger harvest by the next generation. Because you are not dealing with it at the micro level. By the time a generation's obsession is BB Ninja, then you know the future of that country. 
We are looking forward. And everything STEM, everything science, technology, engineering, math is going to the background. Back in the day, it used to be cowbell competition. That was what we wanted to be. The, the, the poster boy for cowbell competition. Go and check any nation that is doing so well. They focus on STEM. Right now, right now, if you Google the highest Google job in Africa, is dancer. Do you know why they control the social media in China and Japan? That's why. So when you go on those social media networks in those countries, you see a small seven-year-old boy building some, some crazy innovation. I'm like, what am I doing in my life? Ah, let me go and read physics. Let me go and read nanophysics. And before you know what's going on, because that is what they want to see. That is what they are incentivizing. What you reward, you will see more of. Then for just doing nothing but kissing men that you don't know from Adam, you have a fan base that will buy you a car after you are done. Are you, are you kidding me? This is the value system of Nigerians. That's why it is selling. If, if see, this is the value system of Nigerians. Hey, the presidency is not our problem, my, my, my people. That's not our problem. If that is perhaps the most expensive show in Africa today. And what does it sponsor? And if it will not be expensive, people are not watching it. People are, it's households that are watching it. It's people that have TV that are watching it. It's not Aso Rock that is watching it. It's households. It's human beings. It's people, micro-individuals that are watching this. And that's what is incentivizing the direction of the market. So just for doing that, 9 million naira. I mean, how many? Is it 9 million? I don't even know. 100 what? And what skills and qualities does it heighten in you? Gaslighting, manipulation, witchcraft. <laughs> Those are the things that you have to be deft at to win. You've got to be able to put two heads, jam it together, and excuse. You've got, yes, you've got to be able to manipulate and manage your way. Be a, a chess player at destroying people's emotional lives. And be married outside the house, but get inside and you have a strategy to win. Are you kidding me? So your, your, your family can be a collateral damage for one, 120 million naira. And this is what Nigerians watch. Oh. Yet we have a problem with the presidency. You see the hypocrisy. You see the hypocrisy. Hmm. Amen. Wow. So uh, I think I've ranted enough, right? <laughs> But that's, that's the reality. That's, that's the reality. Cowboy comes. I don't even know if they even do it. It's back. Thank God. It's bigger. Thank God. We want it to be as big as that one. When it's that big, then more... You see, you see what happened to the artists that have the past recently? Eh? It's a reflection of the desperation of the youth in Nigeria. Because as far as they're concerned, there are about maybe three limited ways to make it in this country. If you're not going to go into internet fraud, you're not going to make it in music. The sport one is tough. And you have to travel out of the country, you need money. But those two, they are the quickest. They are, they are, they are the most available. And it can happen on a large scale, larger than what sports can afford. And so, 
That desperation is what pushes people to sign ridiculous contracts, knowing those clauses. But if I can just make it and blow, because that's the only way they can. That's as far as they're concerned, that's the only way. And the best of musicians, all of them smoke openly. Ego. And they make it clear, they put it in the songs. And these are the most strained people. And we will now come five years later and say, Nigeria, inflation, unemployment. What were you expecting? What were you expecting, really? <laughs> this thing is, is an actual science. You feed these things. Look at all the top five. Real time. They'll put it on their timelines. This is what I do. I'm not shy of it. Smoke from now till forever. And then you expect someone to come inside and not lose his mind, and not lose his emotional stability, and not get depressed. What does he feed his mind with? See the junk. And then you expect him to just be there, and they'll be holding hands and be, and brotherly love will continue. In a That's what you expect. Record labels that makes it clear that we objectify women, we smoke. That is all we do, literally. And we think about cars and houses and dollars running on us. And you don't expect people to be desperate for money. You don't expect thefts and crime to increase. You don't expect people to just have absolutely no regard for consequences. Do you know right now in, is it LA? And then of course some parts of Vancouver in Canada. There is a place officially approved by the government where you can get shots of cocaine, meth, and other drugs. Approved by the government. He said they will, have, they will have a medical personnel beside you as you are, as you are getting high. They will, they will put them there so that you will not be overdosed. So guess what? The rate of death from overdose increased by 1,000%. With the medical personnel. <laughs> How do you create such a policy? And you expect to reduce crime. Are you, are you thinking? <sighs> Guys, we need to be more responsible. And, and that's one of the reasons why, of course, Maya is going to be a big hit. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Uh -uh. Now, wow. <laughs> Honestly, that's one of the reasons. Because we need to be the light wherever we are. This idea, see, let the state separate themselves from the church, but the church must not separate itself from the state. Let the political space say that the church is the, the church's business. But the church must not say the state is the state's business. We must infiltrate the state. That should be our mandate. Else, children's children down the line will suffer for a fight we did not fight. They will suffer for it. Inevitably. Inevitably. When the only desire of youth and young people is just money and fame and riches and traveling the world, they are so susceptible to being deceived by the devil. He's harvesting them in the hundreds and in the millions. Just go to the downloads. Go to the streaming music, the, the music that is being streamed. You can tell the desires of a generation. You can tell where we are tilted as a people. And until our micro desires are changed by the power of the Holy Ghost. You see why Jesus mentioned the Holy Ghost there now? So Jesus said in Acts 1.8 that you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. You see why he's talking about that power. 
Now, a lot of us, whenever we hear power, we think of falling down under the anointing. We think of breaking chairs. We think of people just falling. And you say, that's power. When a man of God comes in and says, the power of God is so palpable in this room. There are seven angels all around. And then, you know, the atmosphere is tense. You know, there's feelings, goosebumps, everything. You should be helping me. Amen. <laughs> you know, all those, the, 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 the tension in the atmosphere. And that is what you think when you hear in the demonstration of spirit and power. Because that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2. That it didn't come with the excellency of speech, or the enticing words of man's wisdom. But I came in the demonstration of spirit and power. So you assume that Paul came and he did like this, boom. Everybody fell. And he carried his suit. He did like this, boom. And everybody fell. And he parted the Red Sea. <laughs> and that's what you assume is the demonstration of spirit and power. But no, that is not. 1 Corinthians 1 gives us context. He's talking about the preaching of the cross. He says the preaching of the cross is wisdom and it is power to us. So 1 Corinthians 2 is just a continuum of 1 Corinthians 1. And 1 Corinthians 2 is talking about the fact that he came in the demonstration of spirit and power. The demonstration of spirit and power is the capacity of the Holy Ghost to change behavior. That is power. You can fall down from nothing forever. If your behavior does not change, you don't have power, sir. Listen, God will, he will raise the, the weight of changing the heart of a person much more than raising the dead. I can guarantee it. So the power you see that is manifested in healing cancer and curing deaf ears and all of those things, those things can be, those things can expire because the person that is raised from the dead can die again. Lazarus will die again. Do you understand? The person that is sick will not live forever. So yes, those things are temporal and they are secondary in their nature. It's supposed to just, it's supposed to be a stopgap and a, an augmentation of some sort. But the transformation of your mind can never age backwards. And it is until Jesus comes. The design of the transformation of your spirit man or your soul is to continue to evolve until you become like Christ. The power that is responsible for turning the hearts of stone to the hearts of flesh, that is the ultimate power available on earth. That's the ultimate power available on earth. And so when Jesus is saying you shall receive power, how can you decide and say what the world is doing and they are lusting after, I choose not to. I can say no to sin. I can say no to ungodliness. I can say no to unrighteousness. That is the greatest power you have. The power to change your own behavior by the power of the Holy Ghost. And if everybody would take hold of that power of the Holy Ghost and begin to change their behavior at the micro level, forget about it. They won't even realize that the kingdom has been restored. They won't even realize, because that was not the apostles. The apostles was to witness Jesus Christ and make him known by the changing of their own behavior. The Holy Ghost can change your life. That is why he is the power. And you see, I can't even go into all of those details right now. But 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2 talks about how that we must be stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards of that mystery. And he said it is, in, it is required in stewardship that a man is found faithful. And he explains that in 2 Corinthians 4, talking about how that we have received this ministry and we faint not. He says we renounce hidden things of dishonesty. So how you stay faithful in 1 Corinthians 4 2 is in 2 Corinthians 4 2. You renounce hidden things of dishonesty. You are not walking in craftiness. But the Bible says by the manifestation of truth. He says, you're not handling the word of God deceitfully. This is how to be a holder of the secret wisdom and the secret mysteries of God. This is how to be a good steward of the mysteries of God. He says, by the manifestation of truth. And so, if your life is not a manifestation of the things you preach, it will lack spirit and power. That is what 1 Corinthians 2 is talking about. That I didn't come with useless, baseless, non-transformative excellency of speech. 
Because I can come and speak big grammar. If people are not changing under the strength of the word of God that I'm teaching in the church, then there is no spirit, there's no power. They can be falling every Sunday. And nothing is changing. But if after six months you see evolution, somebody that used to lie as a habit, he can no longer lie. Someone that used to fornicate can no longer fornicate. Someone that used to think there's nothing in accountability now begins to say, you know what? I think I need to be more accountable. Someone that does not even think of life as a continuum and as and as something you need to pass on to your children's children because that is actually the inheritance you pass on to your children's children. It's not money. It's a good name. It's honor. It's trustworthiness. It's honesty. It's the person you have become. It's what your name represents. That is the greatest inheritance you can give to your children's children. Because one generation is enough to finish all your wealth. One generation. So if it will get to the third generation, it was not money. We now know from Nigeria's history that it was not... See, listen. Oil boom came. And one generation is enough to finish it and dig deeper into debt. One generation, not two. One! The same people that saw the oil boom finished it. They finished it. So if it is money you are, you are hoping to give to your children's children, they will not see it. One generation is enough. It is honor that preserves wealth across dispensations. It is honor. So if you don't give of that honor, oh God, sorry, the third generation will not see it. It will end in the second. So if a, if a good man would leave inheritance for his children's children, it was not money he gave them. He gave them more. He gave them far more. The other day I was at the Olobojais and we were just talking about what our parents gave us. Hey, they may not give you the... And so when you begin to say, I wish I was, I was born to Dangote, Oga, it already shows that you wouldn't have used the wealth well, just thinking like that. It's a sign that you wouldn't have been a good son to him. If you are thinking, I wish you were, you are very opportunistic. That's how you are thinking. Your parents gave you what you needed. They, 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 they gave you, oh yeah, they gave you strength of character. If you like, own up to it. Be responsible. They told you all those things. I started counting the things that my mom did. The work she did. Apart from her nine to five. The work she did. The hustle. As she will sell she would sell scotch egg, sell kunu, sell zobo, had kiosk in Zumuratu, had store in Laspotek, had garage, bar with a 9 to 5. And she was studying in Ogun State University with four children. How? That diligence that you must take care of your own. You must be a responsible father. You must be a responsible mother. That is the honor they gave you. And it is sufficient for your children's children. More money. Because if you look at the wrong things, you will be incentivized by the wrong incentives. You will be incentivized by the wrong things. It's honor. It's responsibility. It's diligence. It's dignity of labor. That's what they taught you. That what we have, we eat. What we can afford, we will not borrow. Those are the things they taught you. But your wig... Say, ah, yeah, this dinner, ah, no, I can't wear what I have. <laughs> you now do a job for a week. Say, I want to carry my own this month. It's not to buy land, <laughs> to buy a wig because it will, it's lush, it will fall. <laughs> Say, it falls nicely. Put a knife to your throat. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Micro, micro level changes. That's what the world needs. That is how Michael Jackson intended to change the world. <laughs> Honestly. When, when he sang that song, change the world, make it a better place, right? This is how it happens. 
you make yourself a better person. And that cannot happen except by the help of the Holy Ghost. He's the one that changes people. That is the greatest testimony I have seen as a pastor all my years. That someone can be under my ministry and just all of a sudden, the person just stops to do the things they were doing. Ah! How? Did they stop enjoying those things they were doing? Something changed their desires. The heart of stone was changed. Because they kept exposing it to the rays of God's word. The teachings of his grace. And they were changing inside out. We all with open faces beholding us in the glass. The glory of the Lord. We are changed to that same image. From glory to glory as by the spirit of God. Three things you must do at the micro level. See the change. You cannot represent a change you did not see. See the change. So you need to begin to see Nigeria as a better place. Already. Already. Don't wait till any governor or president changes it for you. They will not change it. You are the one that will change. And as you continue to grow and increase your influence, then someone somehow of your lot will enter into that office and then the state will be a reflection of his own ideologies. So it is people that change. It's not states that change. It's people that change. It's people that change. See the change. Envision it. Let it impact on your behavior. Number two, be the change. So it's not enough to just see the hope of change and say that all. No, 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 no. Be that change. Be the beginning of change in your organization, in your street, in your house, in your compound, in your family. Be the change. And number three, pray the change. I know there are people on Twitter and everywhere on social media that make it look like our prayers don't mean anything. They do. They still do, sir. You see, prayer is the purest form of impacting the soul of another man. Every other strategy is manipulation and gaslighting. I tell you the truth. Prayer is the, most, is the purest way of influencing somebody that is not witchcraft or manipulation. It's the purest way. Yes, you can inspire people by speaking, but hey, there's a thin line. But once you begin to pray for someone, the person is changing without your direct exposure to them because you are praying for them. And so when we are praying for Nigeria. It's not really Nigeria at the micro, macro level we are praying for. We are praying for human beings in Nigeria. We are praying for Nigerians. By praying that they will begin to see the light. That the light of the glorious gospel will shine. And you can't be praying and not preaching. What kind of prayer would that be? You can't be praying and not preaching. When you are praying, you add preaching to it. You preach because it is the Holy Ghost that can change the lives of people. You see how God connects spirituality with politics. They asked him a political question. He gave them a spiritual answer. Because the answer to every political dilemma is a spiritual one. It's a spiritual one. When are you going to restore Israel? You receive power. Let the Holy Ghost come. You become witnesses. This, the kingdom will be restored. So maybe we've not been doing spirituality the right way. Maybe it has always been about testimonies and breakthroughs. And early morning prayers. And, and breakthroughs and badging God to do something for us. What are we going to start expressing the life of the Holy Ghost? The life of Jesus on our streets. When? It's all about, ah, God is a celestial butler. He just asks for your order, delivers it to your doorstep. That's, that's not who God is. He has a plan. He has an agenda for this earth. And he's depending on you to receive the Holy Ghost and take responsibility for what you are responsible for. And if you will be responsible, maybe another person can be because of you. Then maybe three people can be because of you. Then maybe 10 people can be because of you. Then maybe 200 people can be because of you. Then maybe 200 million people can be because of you. If you can start, it can cause a ripple. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. We ask that we establish in this truth and no righteousness. Wow, what a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen at
across all social media platforms at Pop Wayne Tribe.